Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite players from Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, James Sue. This is part two of my talk with Emma Handy. Emma is a magic writer, coach, and all-around awesome personality. Once again, I need to give you a warning. This conversation is pretty dark. There is some serious stuff in here. There are topics about self-harm, suicide, taking drugs, and others. We also use some pretty strong language from time to time. So if you're easily offended, I urge you to proceed with caution. I've started a Patreon page at patreon.com slash jamesu, J-A-M-E-S-H-S-U. Instead of bombarding you with advertisements, I've started this page with the hopes of recouping some of my podcasting costs. This podcast is definitely a labor of love for me, and your support will allow me to keep it going. I have some awesome benefits on Patreon, and I've also set up some goals. Now, this is the first time I've done something like this, so I'd really appreciate it if you would even consider giving to the cause. Please take two seconds, go to patreon.com slash and see what it's all about. The rest is up to you. All right, let's get right into it. Humans of Magic with Emma Handy, part two. And um, I failed at um, I I failed at killing myself. <laughs> um, it, it was close. It was a close call, though. It sounds like. Yeah, uh, we'll say there was a mechanical malfunction. I I don't really I don't really want to get into the the full details of it, but um, any more than I already have, but um. I ended up being mad that um, at the time I, I was just depressed because I thought, you know, I'm 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 worthless. I can't even I can't even kill myself. This is <laughs> how can I be this bad, right? Um, but you know, I basically cry myself to sleep, and my alarm goes off the next day, and I was like, well, if I'm not gonna be dead, I might as well just uh, might as well go back to work. And I went back and I finished my shift. And uh, a couple weeks later, I still hadn't come out to anybody, but I got very drunk and realized and was genuinely considering killing myself again, or at least trying again. Um, but instead of that, uh, on a whim, I texted Jake, who I mentioned before. I said, "Hey, I'm drunk right now, but tomorrow I need you to make me tell you something." It's very important. Um, I can't tell you right now, but you'll know what I'm talking about when I tell you the truth. And the next day when I was sober, I told him. And what was his reaction? So <laughs> we, um, we had a wedding uh, that we were going to that day, actually. It was our friends Josh and Charlotte. And um, they... Well, they aren't that relevant. We, we were driving to um, get clothes for the wedding. And I tell him, and he just goes, okay. And, you know, I'm 
my heart's in my throat and I'm tearing up. I'm like, I, I don't know what okay means. And I say, uh, okay. And he goes, gonna need some time to chew on that. And, you know, at the time I was like, all right, that's fair. I, <laughs> it's, uh, I told him he was the only person I told and um, that was kind of the end of it in that that specific conversation. Um, but later that night at the reception, there was an open bar for beer. And uh, he goes, kind of tired of this beer, just filling me up and I'm not getting drunk enough. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's get a couple Jack and Cokes. He agrees. So we go to the bar and I order a couple of Jack and Cokes. And he moves me out of the way and buys them. And I was just... At the time, we alternated buying drinks, and it was my turn. And I just go, the fuck, man? It's my turn to buy drinks. And he looks at me and says, well, if my best friend's going to be the gir- be a girl, I'm going to be the first one to buy her a drink. And, like, takes a sip of his and winks at me. And, like, that was kind of like the things are going to be okay, I guess. Yeah. But that uh, was um, the single happiest moment of my entire life. Right, because you were probably scared of how he might react, right? And he reacted in basically the most reasonable way one can expect someone to react when faced with some revelation or news like that, right? Yeah, we uh, we ended up going out to my car when the reception was over and just sitting in my car and talking about it while sobering up for two, three hours. I don't think we actually ended up getting home until almost 6 a.m., but... um. It was, uh, it was even just telling someone, even when I wasn't sure if I was going to transition or anything, was just such an enormous weight off my shoulders. Yeah, and what happens after that? Because I assume that this diffused you wanting to end your life because you actually felt like maybe there was uh, some light at the end of the tunnel uh, but what happens after that? Like, what what did you do? I mean, over the next little while. So to go at both at the, at the two things that in that statement one at a time. One, um, I have starting to transition has not completely fixed everything as far as um, the issues I have combating uh, suicidal ideation. Um, uh, I have not had a real issue in a couple of years now, but there were a couple of times where, you know, I kind of just felt like I would never be a real woman. I would just be some scarred up, confused freak, you know, all, all these things that like self-doubt creeping in. Right. Um, but for the most part, things have gotten much better for the reason you said it's easier, much easier to see a light at the end of the tunnel when I can kind of see my progress and see the direction I'm going. Um, But to uh, go with the second part of what you asked, um, the the actual timeline from there, that was October the 12th, 2014, that I started transitioning. It was the first time I, like, you know, shaved my legs, started, like, seriously looking at women's clothing, thinking about names I was going to pick out. Um, I, so that October, then I started hormones the following March. 
that was through Planned Parenthood, who is by far the best trans uh, healthcare provider in North Carolina. I cannot say enough good things about them. They're fantastic. Um, then I went full-time presenting as female, only going by Emma in July of the uh, that following July. So July, I believe, I actually, my transversary was just a few days ago, actually. I think it was like the 26th. Yeah, July the 26th uh, of 2015 is the first day I started going by Emma all the time. That's awesome. It's obviously an ongoing process. And the last couple of years, did you have a a good support network to kind of friends or family to guide you through this? My support network is absolutely fantastic. Um, I only lost, other than my dad's side of the family, I only lost a couple of people, is like friends-wise, um, so to speak. Um, I Most of the people in my life stayed in my life. Um, Almost every time I would talk to someone, I would go, hey, I need to talk to you about something in private. And, you know, as anxiety-ridden as this generation is, everyone, all, almost all of them, after I told them, would, like, breathe a sigh of relief and be like, oh, my God, I thought, I thought you were mad at me or something. And we're just so relieved that I wasn't, like, that they hadn't fucked up. And then we're just like, oh... But yeah, yeah, no, that's that's totally cool. Do you, is there something you'd like to be called or, you know, something to that effect? Or, oh, yeah, if, if, and they might have some questions, but for, for the most part, everyone was incredibly receptive. I, Jake's girlfriend at the time, uh, and one of my better friends, Chloe, we actually, uh, she gave me some uh, what we called girl lessons, just helping with, like, teaching me to paint nails and we would like do like traditionally like early 20s like women hanging out like eating ice cream and watching kitchen nightmares and stuff and drinking wine or whatever it is <laughs> nice. that was like it it's a little thing but it was just so nice at the time that it it was really important for me developmentally I know there may be people listening to this who may also be dealing with issues of self-identity. It may not be exactly your situation. So I'm just wondering if there's anything at all, not that we have a, a time machine, but if you could have done things differently, maybe a few years back, is there anything that you would say to yourself if you could actually talk to the Emma from five, six years ago? tough. Um, I wish I had been able to convince myself to try to transition earlier in adulthood, but I do not think I could have done it as a child. Like, I, I don't think there's anything teenage me could have done to get a traditionally female childhood, right? Like, obviously my biological father is not on board with having uh, his eldest kid be a daughter and my my mother was a little slow to come around at first she was kind of resistant to things but then she just saw me as emma a few times and saw that 
I was happier, I treated people better, I was better in a lot of ways, and it, it really just kind of, seeing is believing, right? And she's like, wow, this, this really improved my kid's life. Maybe there's something to all of this. And she went through a lot of work to try to understand things. She read a bunch and like found an online support group and that really helped her understand things. But I do not think, I, I don't think it would have been possible for 14 year old Emma to exist. Uh, but I do think it would have been possible for 19 or 20 year old Emma to exist. So I, I wish I could tell myself like, hey, you're, you're living on your own. You're the only one paying your own bills. If this is what's going to make you happy, you should just do it. Yeah, I think that's the difference between being a, a child and an adult, right? Because as a child, you really, the odds are really stacked against you. You're not even fully responsible. That's why you have guardians or parents to, to help you along. So to expect someone to figure all of it out at a young age is, seems to me like the odds would be really stacked against you. But what I'm hearing you say is that once you're out on your own in the world, maybe it would have helped to sort of identify that earlier on. But of course it's hard because I mean, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do when I was 20 years old. Like yeah, nobody yeah. does. So who would, who would know? Like, it's like you're making such a fundamental change to who you are. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but just deciding like it's, it's basically an irreversible path, right? It's not just like saying I'm going to dye my hair brown or something like that. So it, it, I don't know if you can really go back and do it differently. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And the the whole per, the permanence of it is kind of even that's a little iffy, right? Like a lot of the things that you see t trans teenagers doing is being put on puberty blockers instead of anything that causes their body to change in a permanent way. Instead, it kind of goes, "All right, so 14-year-old kid who was assigned male at birth wants to present as female. Maybe let, let's give them these drugs that will make it so they don't necessarily grow as tall and they don't like grow a beard, but they also, their hips don't expand in the same way and they don't develop breast tissue. So it gives them time to kind of figure themselves out. Uh, and the effects of that have been shown to be mostly reversible. Like it's kind of hard to say everything's completely reversible because you're not going to know what anyone would have looked like if they had started puberty a couple of years earlier in either direction. But there's there aren't long-lasting effects, like people who are on puberty blockers for a long time don't end up being impotent or uh, infertile later in life, for example. I see. And, and maybe another way for me to ask the, the question is not what you would do differently, but if you could give some advice to people who are going through something like that in their teenage years or in their early 20s? Is there something that you might offer as advice? Yes. Uh, the best thing I can offer is to try and become self-sustaining, uh, financially speaking. I, um, it, it basically puts you in a position of power, right, where you have control over your own life. This is incredibly... I'm, I've been lucky in my life, right? There are a lot of ways, I mean, you know, I, I think you could make the argument that being trans is kind of a, a life low role where it would be much easier not to be trans. But financially, I've 
I've been dealt a reasonable hand. I've never been wealthy in my life, but I've, I've fortune has smiled upon me and I've usually had jobs that could support me living on my own. Um, and if it is possible for anyone in who, who's thinking about wanting to transition and isn't sure if it's possible, uh, the best advice I can give is to try to reach a spot where you are relying on your own you, yourself for bills, right? Because then you're kind of in a spot where there's nobody who can hold anything over your head based on the decisions you make. Your, your parents can't go, well, I'm going to kick you out if you're under your own roof. Your parents can't take your car away if you own your car and so on it, it's it's there there's a sort of freedom that comes with it as well as a freedom to experiment and privacy and all kinds of things that make it easier to figure yourself out and or be your truest self emma are there any drawbacks at all from your personal experience with regards to transitioning so that one's kind of tough uh it it uh, yes, <laughs> the short answer is yes. It's it's generally a um, a cost benefit analysis, right? Where there are certain things that become a lot harder. Like it's pretty frustrating sometimes when you know it's if you see me in person, it's I I think if you look, you can tell that I was not assigned female at birth, um, and you'll get people in positions of power that treat you poorly for it, be it. Um, you know, you go to a store and a cashier is crummy to you because they can be and they think you're weird. Or you go to the DMV and the DMV person doesn't really want to go out of their way to help you change your name. So they find a reason for there to be red tape that you have to wade through. And Wait, you're talking, can... these are real examples, right? Yes. Okay, people can be yeah. vicious. Yeah, yeah, um, and I've, I've also had spots where I've been kicked out of gas stations because they don't take too kindly to ladies with stubble. Um, that was a few years ago, um, and I've been forced out of bathrooms. Uh, I've not been able to go to the bathroom because, you know, I am I was not assigned female at birth, so I can't use the women's room but I'm not a guy, so I can't use the men's room, so I just kind of had to hold it forever. There's a lot of crappy situations that can arise, and that's on top of the, the rejection that can come from transitioning, either from friends or family. A lot of people don't understand it, and a lot of people don't want to put in the work to understand it, so it's, it's, it can be really hard in that way. The way I look at it is, I, I, I talked to a friend about this, is I actually have a lot of respect for people who are trans because I can relate to not, not actually going through it myself, but I can relate to the kind of stigma and societal reaction that comes with it. And I know it's not easy. So I always think to myself, for someone to go through that incredible step, it must mean that they truly believe in it and who am I to discourage them or not encourage them to be on be who they are you know because it there's like it's so easy to just be more invisible and just identify or just present yourself as male right in your situation 
and and then people will accept you. People will like you know not throw you out of the bathroom or verbally abuse you because they don't understand it because it's not in their in their script. So for someone to have gone through that, I, I actually give people a lot of props and respect for that. You know because the alternative is far easier. And in life, we always want to do things again subconsciously or or consciously that are easy for ourselves. Like it'd be so easy to do the alternative. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I appreciate the the indirect kind words there. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just worth it, though. Like I there are things I would not have ever been able to achieve if I had not transitioned. Right. Like out, outside of happiness, there there are just a lot of things where I we haven't even gotten that far into like how dysphoria tends to work or how feeling wrong about your body can work or the flip side of that, how feeling right about your body can work or um, I, I there, like that's great. And then to use myself as an example, pre-transition, I had no desire to be kid, to have kids. I just did not want them. That sounds awful. I absolutely not. But since transitioning, I want nothing more in life than to be a mom. And that sounds great. Like, I, I had no desire to be a dad, but want to be a mom more than I want literally anything in the world. Um, I And that would not have been possible without transitioning. Yeah, it sounds like it's brought a lot of good into your life and who you are as a, fundamentally are as a person. So... It, how do you how do you feel about yourself now? I mean, it sounds like you were in a much darker period and really rock bottom, uh, if I may say, a few years ago when you you know you didn't want to continue living, right? So now, how do you how do you feel? Like, is it a daily struggle still? Is it? Are you mostly happy with yourself? I'm trying to understand, you know, how, how what's going on now when you wake up every morning, you know. Sure. So some days are harder than others. Like I, I will feel really gross about myself or I, I don't feel great about how I fit into the world every single day. There are days and not just in the, I don't feel like getting out of bed kind of way, but like in the, the self doubt and things I was referencing before, or, um, feeling like I, don't like I'm just wasting my time that I'm not gonna reach my goals it, you know that's the depression talking but um in a lot of ways and you know uh completely being full of myself here I'm a pretty big Emma and Catherine fan uh I've I've worked pretty hard to get to where I am today and a lot of the decisions I've made have been on the back of all right well where do I want to end up what is something that I would be proud of doing? What is a decision that I'm not going to regret later? Because I honestly, a lot of my decisions are kind of rooted in regret. There are lots of things in my life that I wish could have gone differently or I could have done differently. So I, I would say overall, I'm, you know, I'm pretty fucking proud of where I am today. And I, I, I don't know if I would say I love myself, but I think I love myself. I would just say that we all have to be our own biggest fans because who else is going to be our own biggest fan, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I can relate to a lot of what you said because I think it doesn't matter who you are. Just if you're a human being, you're going to go through periods of self-doubt and 
what am I doing, whether it's my career choice or something much more major than that. Like there's always that questioning of the self, you know? Yes, absolutely. If I may switch gears a little bit. Sure. You know, you're, you had mentioned that, you know, you do card games and uh, it, was, it was Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and then Magic. And now you're a pretty well-known personality in, in Magic. And can you talk about how you got into the public spotlight, as it were, with Magic? Because you, you talked about, you know, uh, Feline and people who are identify as trans and, you know, making their mark on Magic. So how did you start making inroads there with Star City and, and you know, being, being more and more visible in the community? I just wanted to kind of know how you got from someone who was not a known uh, person to someone who is now quite a well-known person in the Magic community. Okay, sure. So I, I've been traveling to Magic tournaments since, you know, New Phyrexia, I think, is the, the thing I gave before. The first open I went to was the either the first or the second open where Splinter Twin was legal, or Deceiver Exarch was legal, but the Splinter Twin combo was a deck. Um, and I, I've been traveling a decent amount since then and had... I've known a lot of the people who work for Star City Games for a long time. A lot of those people came up from an area close to mine. Uh, just central and western North Carolina is probably where about 15 to 20 SCG employees come from and probably 5 to 10 of the traveling show staff. So it, it was just easier for me to go to those than Grand Prix because I knew people. Um which led to me continuing to go to those after I transitioned. There were a couple of positive interactions that came at Opens after I transitioned that made me feel safer at Opens than I did Grand Prix. Grand Prix, for example, for a while were crappy about um, only sending checks in the name that appeared on your DCI card, which meant that I had to put my dead name on my DCI card because it was incredibly expensive to legally change my name in North Carolina, and I couldn't quite afford it yet. Um, and that was stressful, whereas Star City Games would let you separate your DCI information and your tax information. Then there was also an event where my purse got left on a table or stolen or turned it up front somehow. I don't know. I don't know how it got from A to B, but it ended up in the hands of Callie Anderson, who I did not know at the time. And over the loudspeaker, she called out, we have the purse of Emma Handy, please come to you know the booth or whatever. And everything in my purse was under my dead name, my prescriptions, my ID, my, uh, my bank card, all of that, but she looked in the software and saw the only person with Handy on their name was Emma, and there was makeup in the purse, and it was a purse. So her, like, putting in that extra effort to, like, to not just shout my dead name over the loudspeaker or anything just made me more comfortable at opens. Um, from there, uh, I kind of crushed IQs and PPTQs for a while, there was a season in PPTQs where I scooped, it was either six or seven finals. 
in the same season just because I wanted the money more than I wanted the the RPTQ invite. And um so I <laughs> my uh my boyfriend and I we were um we were on ecstasy. <laughs> okay. It's uh it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> And we were just, like, cuddling and talking about things. And he just, like, his eyes get so big. And he just goes, I don't know why you don't try to actually make it in magic. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he just goes, he just, like, sits up and looks at me and goes, are you kidding? You are so good at magic. Just, and he brought up, like, three instances from, like, PPTQs from the last few weeks where he was just like, there's no one else in a hundred miles that would have won the game where you came back from blah, 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 blah. And then you destroyed this combat step with your stupid Butcher of the Horde deck, but you know, you're handicapping yourself because you like this deck. What if you just play the best deck and go to the tournaments that matter? And that kind of, and he and I have been rivals for a long time and I perceived him as better than me. So for him to go that far out of his way and, you know, obviously the drugs uh, made it a little easier to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But <laughs> for him to go that far out of his way to say all of that, I was like, it, you know, you don't just forget about that. And um, the next season on the SCG tour was season one of 2016 and there were only two opens that were more than eight hours away. So I decided, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. I can I can probably afford to go to these as long as I cash, you know, every other one or something. And um, I'm, I'm just going to do it. So I started writing articles on a blog called cardconfidants.com. They're just little, like, 500 to 1,000 word things that were... A couple of them were pretty good, but for the most part, were just me rambling in a Word document. Um, started going to these opens. Uh, I did really well with the Rally the Ancestors deck the weekend that Reflector Mage came out, and I was the best finishing Rally player in the tournament. I didn't top eight on Breakers. And that was kind of demoralizing, but I was happy to do well. And that got me some attention and a guest column, or not a guest column, a guest article on uh, Star City Games writing about the rally deck, which got me a bunch of attention on my Twitter. I got like a few hundred followers from that when I only had probably 50 at the time. Then an article a few weeks later, uh, I did the, are you familiar with the Sam Stoddard uh, Fearless Magical Inventory? Yes, that is one of the best magic articles ever written, in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, I agree so much that I wrote one for myself and talked about his article, and that got picked up by Erin Campbell, who's also a fairly prominent trans woman in the magic community, uh, and she passed it over to Evan Irwin, who was the, ed the, the content coordinator over at Gathering Magic which got me a writing gig at Gathering Magic. Uh, and I started writing for them, was still going to SCG events, and did well enough that I started getting feature matches pretty consistently. People knew who I was. I was starting to get, I was starting to get in the, quote, in crowd. 
and by the end of the year, I hadn't, I wouldn't say I'd cemented myself as a known person, but I, I at least was a blip on the radar, so to speak. And in 2017, I start, I went to a few Grand Prix and had an 11, basically 11 Ford, um, and never quite broke through, but did well enough with oddball decks like the Blue Red Prowess slash Blue Red Delver deck uh, with Thunderous Wrath and everything to get that put on the map, which got me some attention. And I ended up getting invited to the Loading Ready Run pre-pre-release and started streaming full-time and offering magic coaching because I had a few people who would pay me for what were effectively magic lessons, and I liked doing that more than I liked uh, waiting tables, which I had been doing part-time at the time, and um, decided to just take the full leap into magic. Wow, and so, wow, there's a lot there, but... Yeah, that was, it was a long saga, but, you know, I figured I'd get the whole thing no, out of I, First of all, I, I actually felt this sort of joy when you talked about how the Star City Games employee announced your name, your the name that you prefer to be called by over the loudspeaker. Like, I, I'm not even in your situation. I'm getting warm fuzzies just thinking about how that must have been. I, I can think of the flip side. Like, all it takes is one insensitive person to that this may not have happened. Like, all of this stuff may not have happened were it not for the initial welcome or warmth or acceptance that you felt in, in the Star City Games events, right? Like, it, it, it's kind of like this, I, I always see it as kind of this butterfly effect where, you know, it could have gone very differently or a totally different way. Like, you may not be a full-time content creator or magic personality now were not for the smallest things, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, Callie Anderson is, uh, she is, oh my God, she is, one of the best people I know. I uh, I cannot say <laughs> enough nice things about her. And in a lot of ways, I, I feel like I indirectly owe, directly and indirectly owe her a fair amount. She's just, I I don't know if she'll ever realize the impact she's had on my life. Like I, she's easily my favorite person in Roanoke. One of the people who indirectly convinced me that to move here, I, I, oof. I got some strong feelings for that woman. That, that's great. And then the other thing I picked up on is just really like you, you, you crushed, like you were, you were like living the full grinder lifestyle and, and you, you were killing it, right? You were doing so well that they had to, like people had to notice you. That's how you got the articles, the opportunities to write for certain sites, like gathering magic, like, it, it, it came about like in a way, in, in, if I look at it as kind of the narrative of your life, it sort of all came together. Like all the things that you did back when you were, you know, playing these other card games and then magic and then your boyfriend and being very encouraging, like all that kind of led to where you are now. Yeah, I, it's definitely a lot of things coming together. I uh, am for, for whatever it's worth. I do think I should, it is important that I clarify I, I don't think I was necessarily crushing it in terms of magic results. I, uh, I have only top eighted one open in my life. I've top 16 a bunch and I've come in ninth at two of them. <laughs> but um, I, I am very good. I, I'm one of, 
I would posit I'm one of the most consistent players on the SCG tour. Like, almost any tournament I enter, I will do something between 9 and 6 and 11 and 4. Like, I'm good for 66% of my matches in every tournament I enter. And that did enough to get me on the leaderboard and cash events so I could keep coming to events and still get feature matches because, you know, you don't get to 10-5 without at least making a semi-deep run or something like that. But uh, I, I, I am not... I would not describe what I did in tournaments as crushing it. I think my theory's very good, and I'm very good at writing about the decisions I make, and I'm very good at talking the talk, but I, I do not necessarily think that my... I, I, I don't think I'm the best tournament player. That's okay. As you said, we, don't, we can't all surpass John Finkel. So you, you <laughs> yeah. sort of found your way to be consistent within this framework, and that's, I think that's admirable. Thank you. It's, uh, it, it also, I, I will say, I, I do think it's also important to note in this vein, um, I, like, you're the one doing the interview, but I feel like I'm kind of leading the conversation a little bit. Um, I'm uh, being a, my goal in Magic is to end up in coverage. So it is more important to me to be able to talk the talk and play a lot of different decks in, in order to know how they all work intimately than it is for me to have open trophies. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's a bit of a segue, but I, I am wondering, because you told me now that you are less of a grinder and you're a... Uh, a self-described mail buyer for SCG. So was there something that led you to go to tournaments less frequently now and maybe have more of a consistent job in that area? I'm just trying to understand sort of the, the transition there. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's, it's not really a secret that I am fairly vocal about social issues particularly ones in the magic community. There were a few things towards the end of 2017 that happened. Uh, one where Christine Sprankel uh, quit over harassment she received from a magic YouTuber uh, that I'm not trying to name or anything. And I was pretty vocal about speaking out against the YouTuber and I got a lot of hate as a result. I got messages in my inbox uh, threatening me. I got harassment. I got called every name in the book. I learned slurs that I didn't know were slurs. Um, and that was pretty rough. Um, I, I got some death threats around an event where secure, it, they were taken, wow. they were serious enough for security to be raised at the event. Okay. Um, but I figured, you know, this will die down. This is just a bunch, like, it's, especially with, like, anxiety issues and things like that that I deal with, uh, it's, it was rough, but it, it's not hard to assume that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like, this can't go on forever. Um, and, but then there was another thing where there was a sort of women in magic draft in a, um, a private Facebook group. Oh, well, yeah, I heard about that. That was, uh, oh, man, yeah. I, yeah. I heard about that. Um, pri it was private in title, 
the one of the big defenses as well, it was a private group, but this private Facebook group had over 3,000 people. And it was private enough that I was able to get in within a minute of finding out the group existed. That doesn't sound very private, so... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. We're like, yeah, the Facebook setting is called private, but really? Um, but I found the draft, and it... It was basically nine women in magic and a bunch of people in the comments pack one, pick one out of the pack based on their fuckability. Um, there are a bunch of shitty things in the comments about the women themselves. Um, there was one who was a trans person in the community, in, in the picture that is, uh, that got called an it a bunch in the comments. Um, there was there were other women who weren't in the picture that ended up getting brought up in the comments and then dragged a bunch myself included and i kind of posted it on twitter i took screen caps of the entire thread and all the pictures i reached out to the women in the picture first and said hey i found this and it's pretty fucked up and i want to post this publicly are you comfortable with me posting this because it has some raunchy stuff about you in it? Um, it included, you know, uh, I, you know, actually, it, it doesn't matter who it included. I don't want to bring that kind of attention to the people. But um, I post it, and it exploded. It absolutely exploded and ended up getting a, about a half dozen people, some three-month bans, and a, I think it was a year-long ban or 18-month ban for Travis Wu because he was the moderator of the group, and there was evidence that he that the someone had tried to bring the attention, or the the bring to his attention the existence of the thread, and he had basically said, "Yeah, I'm busy, uh, I'm not, I'll I'll deal with it later," and then just didn't. So um, after that happened. The harassment got a lot worse because I was the original poster of the thing on Twitter. It got like a hundred retweets and I like, I was at the point where I was getting 10 to 12 messages a day. Um, to the, uh, I, I think the worst I ever got was I'm going to chop your cock off and choke you with it. That's like oh, man. probably as graphic as it got. Well, that's yeah. as graphic as the words got. And there's one where one guy was like, oh, did you turn into a girl because you have a little wiener like me? And then sent me a picture of a small penis. Um, so, you know, I, there, there kind of came a point where I had two options. I could either lock my messages or I could take a step back from magic or at least from magic in the capacity that I was participating. That being coaching and grinding full-time, and because of coaching, I had to be accessible publicly. So I couldn't turn off my DMs and not get out of magic, because then I wouldn't be able to communicate with clients or new clients. And uh, a job opened up at Star City Games that I was pretty interested in, and because of my background in Yu-Gi-Oh!, it felt like I was a natural fit for, right? It was just buying cards that people sent in through the mail 
to us. We have a buy list where you can put in all the cards you're selling us, their conditions, their languages, their printings, whether they're foil or not, etc. You sort them, you send the package to us, we verify that the cards are correct, we make any changes as necessary, like if you send us played cards and list them as near mint, we'll downgrade them to played and adjust the prices accordingly, send you an email to make sure the price is okay, and then we give you your money. Uh, and that is the job I have now. But that it, it's been fan, absolutely fantastic. Just having a normal job where I am not required, if I need to take a break from social media, I can close the Twitter app and I cannot get on Twitter for the rest of the day. It, it really saddens me to hear about the abuse because I don't think I don't think many of us started playing magic when being the cool kids in school and to me it feels a little bit like to use a gross generalization like the nerds turning on the nerds now this tough macho bullshit is coming out and you're getting death threats and these are people who were probably not the coolest kids in their school either and so it just feels like really I'm just really saddened to hear all this stuff that's all I can say Yeah I I don't know. I I kind of have a theory where a lot of the people who act that way might not have been ostracized as for being nerds and that was just kind of something they clung to. And when we see things like that draft getting exposed that they thought was entertaining previously, they're kind of faced with this truth, right? Like they see all these other nerds saying, "Wow, this is shitty and these people like, this is punishable, right? So that kind of forces players with the reality that maybe they weren't popular in high school because they were assholes. And no one wants to be told they're an asshole. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't... Nobody's going to look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I need to change something about myself. It's always, like, the other person's fault, right? That's kind of what how the world is, unfortunately. Yeah, so. exactly. And we're, we're all guilty of it. I've been guilty of it and am still yeah, guilty of it sometimes. But I, I think that a lot of the people who are lashing out are upset at the fact that they're being told something that was entertaining to them is wrong and they don't want it to be wrong. Well, again, it doesn't fit their script of how life should be, right? Exactly. So that was, yeah, that thing really blew up on my Twitter, in my tweets and Twitter timeline. I remember that super vividly. And it was also bad because I, I, I don't know Erin Campbell very well, but I really think she's cool and she's really good for the magic community and she has a love of dredge and we're in a couple group chats together so uh, it really it really felt it was a really feel bad situation for me too when i when i when i heard about that incident because i mean it's not like we we judge men on their fuckability so why why are we trying to do this with uh with women uh, it, just, it doesn't make any sense to me and i i don't know i i can't really speak for those people who did it but i don't know i'm just confused by it all you know yeah and i mean it sucks it there's not really a whole lot to add, I guess. I Well, at least that I haven't already said a hundred times or it doesn't seem kind of like a given. I guess the it, it just sucks that in a lot of ways it feels like there are a lot of extra hoops that women and non-binary people end up having to jump through to play Magic just because of a vocal minority. Is there any possibility, you think, of you actually going back and competing? Or do you think that 
period of your life is sort of in the past and you just want to work on doing commentary or coverage or something else new? So, I don't know. I, I think that I need to do more in Magic to end up being a shoe-in for a coverage position. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think there's sort of a point where I have demonstrated that I can talk in front of a camera and I've demonstrated that I can be marketable and that I am like charismatic, right? Um, my, I've said it, you know, a dozen times on this cast or already where I, I'm not where I am today because of my results. It's literally because of myself as a personality and as an entertainer. But there is kind of a point where I, I think to be great at commentary, you do need to be good at magic, right? So I, I think I still need to demonstrate that I have the, the requisite knowledge to talk about high-level magic. Yeah, and not to get too inside baseball on you, but have you thought about the steps that you're going to take to to get there? Like, do you, do you have a kind of a mental plan in place where you think, okay, I can probably do this in a couple years if I do A, B, and C? So I'm, I'm taking magic tournaments more seriously than I used to uh, in that I'm, I'm trying to stick to decks that I think are the best deck for the tournament rather than decks that I think are the best for me to learn with. Um, I'm, I'm focusing a bit less on learning and a little bit more on my tournament results. And even if I don't get to, even if I don't get to coverage ever, I'm, I'll be fine. That's not my biggest goal in life. I would, I care a lot more about other things. The like parenting thing I mentioned before is a much higher priority and is not conducive with the traveling magic lifestyle. Today, I still go to one or two tournaments a month. Um, I have a patron, you know, here's me being a shill for myself, but um, I, I have a Patreon that for people who are fans and want to help me succeed if they have a couple extra bucks to throw my way that make it easier for me to still go to events because now that I have a nine to five job, I have to fly more than I can drive. So it's more expensive for me to go to these tournaments. But um, I'm, I'm just trying to make my, I'm not able to step up to the plate as frequently. So I'm trying to make my swings count more. That makes a lot of sense. It's good. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you have a sort of, you, you, you accept your current situation and you're just trying to maximize the opportunities you get. Exactly. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sweating it. I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy a time in my life where I'm fairly comfortable. Like I have a good job. I have food in my stomach. I have people that love me. I have a roof over my head. I have good friends. I am able to do things in my free time. I have free time. I am on great terms with my family. I'm, I'm just, the things the, like there's a difference between problems and quote unquote real problems and other than some trans related stuff my list of quote real problems is pretty close to non-existent well that's a big other than right because it's part of your life yeah sure i mean i i try very hard to not relate everything in my life to my gender 
and transition when in reality most things in my life relate to it right like there are things I would rather be doing than playing magic but there are things that I that are not quite possible as a result of my transition I don't know if that makes a lot of sense yeah it does I would I if I could have any job in the world and if like you know the the Bernie Sanders made college free for everybody or whatever. I would probably be in school right now to try to be a school teacher. I like working with kids and specifically would like to try to work in health or sex ed. I think I'm pretty good at having awkward conversations that about physiology and things related to that and think I'm good at putting them in terms that younger people can understand and I'm good at answering lots of questions having um having experienced both sides of the gender fence and uh I don't know I I can't get the certifications for that until everything is changed over legally and as a result I'm just doing magic instead for now and that's just one example of several yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds good. Who do you consider to be your closest friends in the world of magic and why? Closest friends in the world of magic? Uh, so my roommate and the guy I've pulled cards with forever, Jake Humphreys, um, Jadine Klumperens, we're like, th those are like, there's a drastic drop off after those two. <laughs> okay, okay. At least with Jadine, I can I can tell that by your Twitter interactions that you guys are are good friends. I, I, at least I can see that, even though I don't know her personally. But I, I see that you guys have uh, a really good rapport. So how how did you how did you guys become such good friends? Like how did you guys meet? I, I assume it's through playing Magic on in on SCG circuit or something. So she made the finals of a Star City Games Invitational in 2016. And that put her in a good spot for the Players' Championship race in terms of SCG points, which made her decide to grind the SCG Tour, at least for the rest of the year. The following tournament, well, two tournaments later, was the Kaladesh release weekend, and she didn't have a testing team. I was on a sponsored team at the time and invited her to be part of our playtesting group. Uh, our sponsor had booked a couple of hotel rooms for our team and the rooms one of them was a suite with two beds and a pull-out couch and the other one was just a queen bed one queen bed for eight people and they were like well how about the girls get the queen bed and everyone else just sleeps two to a bed in the other room and we were like uh sure we don't know each other that well but that's probably fine uh, we end up playing the tournament, um, both squeak into day two, and at dinner later, we're both sitting there, and I realize we're both just fiddling on our phones instead of participating in the conversation. Like, you, you know, magic dinners end up having, like, ten random grinders at, like, a noodles and company all trying oh, to yeah. shout over each other with their own magic stories. Yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, we've all been there. And uh, I, I message Jade, and I go, hey, do you want to go grab a bottle of wine and just go back to the hotel room? I think there's a 7-Eleven a few blocks from here. And she just sends back, fuck yes. And we end up getting some, like, 
like cheap, like, you know, eight, $10 bottle of wine in downtown Indianapolis, going back to our hotel room and staying up until like two in the morning, just like talking or whatever about whatever it is two drunk girls talk about. And some of it was magic, some of it was life. And it ended up just like we connected in a really great way. Like we, we ended up getting along and having similar perspectives and views on a lot of things. That, that's great. And she's super talented too. I, I've, I've read some of her writing and I, I've seen her play on, on camera and uh, she, she's definitely a strong player and also very good at communicating from what I've read. Yeah, she's fantastic. I, uh, I think she's probably one of the like three best writers in the game right now. Not that I've thought that much about it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You mentioned that you you started to coach people in magic. Can you tell me about what that process is like? And yeah, really, what is it like to coach someone in magic? Because I've not coached someone or been coached in magic. So, what as a coach, like what what kind of things do you do you try to do or try to work on with your quote unquote students? <laughs> so, uh, oh, I I have a pitch for it. I have a pitch. Let me. I've, I haven't right. done this in a minute, so I gotta, let me see if I can uh, channel it again. All right. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Think of magic coaching as sort of uh, personalized magic articles, right? If you want to work on standard, limited, or modern, I work with very limited amounts of legacy, but some of it's there. We can work on any of those that you want. If you want to work on more general stuff, it's also possible that we could work on sideboarding together. If you have a deck that you want to work on, you pull it out, I can pull it up on Magic Online, and we can talk about different sideboarding plans, why we sideboard, how sideboarding works. We, it's all completely interactive, and whatever you want to talk about, we can have it just we go at your pace right i'm here for you you're the one coming to me you're you know to to be brass tacks about things you're paying for my time i'm here for you right and even if you want to work on limited sometimes that's going to mean playing games together on magic online and other times if you wanted to work on drafting together i use a draft simulator from the internet and we can talk about pick orders at our own pace you tell me what card you want or what card you're thinking about why you're thinking about them and i can talk to you about what i would pick and we can talk about it from there about how we arrive to our conclusions and it really, really, it, it takes away the rush that comes from timed picks on something like Magic Online. And you can have anything from half-hour sessions if it's just, hey, I want you to help me pick a deck for this upcoming standard tournament. We can talk about the metagame. Or I've done as much as three hours where we ran, you know, this, this like, Legacy Miracles deck through a league and we talked about all of our plays the whole time and you know almost go to time every single round or you know it could we could just have an hour one every single week if you wanted to work on adapting a deck throughout a format or if you wanted to just tune your modern deck week in and week out and have us play games together all of this is on the table and it all is doable Hey, that sounds like a good pitch. Uh, Emma, I'm in. I'm gonna, the check is in the mail. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna sign up for this. <laughs> Perfect. It sounds like it's very customized to what 
the players want to do, right? And it, it really, the balls, it sounds like the ball is in their court. Like you have some methodology, but you really want to help them where they feel like they need to be helped. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm, I'm, I think I like to think I'm very genuine in it, in that, you know, there's a point where it's my job and I have to be realistic about time and everything and kind of be a hard ass about, all right, our hour's up. I'll give you a couple minutes if we're about to wrap up this game or something, but if not, our time is up and I have to get to my next client. But other than that, I, I like to think I'm very attentive with the people I work with. I end up getting fairly invested in them. I'm still friends with a bunch of them. Um, and a lot of times, like, they're, there's one gentleman I worked with every other Monday for six months, and we just tuned his Mardu deck every other week for six months we talked about the board plans we talked about how the modern metagame had shifted we talked about the different plans that could come from it sometimes it was a nahiri deck with imrakles and wall of omens to protect nahiri and then it kind of became something closer to a jund deck where it had dark confidant and it cut the imrakle and nahiri because that's really bad with bob and later on it became a sort of tokens shell that only splashed red because fair mid-range decks were kind of popular so bitter blossom got much better than it used to be there we did that and then another woman we worked together every other wednesday and we would just do a draft together and run through the draft and talk about the games and the format at the time so it's all kinds of different approaches to it yeah and do you ever have any people approach you where they might have more of a general ask where it's they just feel like they want to improve their magic game and you you actually have to diagnose where where what they should be working on so with those types of people my general approach was what do they want where are they like what do they think is the best thing they can do in magic and then we talk and we talk and a lot of it is me just kind of giving tips and anecdotes and all right well if you want if you're worried about this part of your game have you ever heard about this theory have you ever considered mana efficiency do you know what it, if you're worried about your sideboarding do you know what the elephant theory uh, do you know what the elephant theory is that Zvi Mauschwitz kind of introduced a few years back have, are these things that you've thought about before here are some articles that I read a long time ago that you can reference for in the future if you want more information about sideboarding um if you're wanting to take your game to the next level, how tight are you playing? How much paper magic are you playing? How are your mechanical actions, etc.? My next question, Emma, is what have you learned from writing all these articles over the years? If there's one or two learnings that you have, either the process of writing or getting feedback from your readers or audience, what do you think those lessons would be? I have no idea what people want. <laughs> I, uh, the articles I see the Twitter are, polls. I see, I see you doing that, but I thought it was just you being nice and, and being open with the community, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to figure out sometimes and play it by ear, but the things I want in Magic are not the same things other people want in Magic. Like, you know, I can't dive into numbers or anything, corporate secrecy and all that, but my favorite article I've written this year was uh, called Windows Squeezes in the Door. It was a theory article about um, pressing advantages, learning which axis to fight on in a game of magic. Like if you're an aggro deck, sometimes you aren't actually trying to attack their life total. You're trying to tax their mana and kill them on one turn by overloading their mana with a deck like Infect. Uh, and I, 
honestly, I thought it was a very good article. I liked it a lot, and I thought it kind of had timeless applications. The matches I referenced in it, one was from a few years ago, one was from six months ago, one was from Dominaria Release Weekend. I thought it had great examples, and I liked the flow of it. I thought it was a nice article. Also, it was my worst article this year in terms of clicks. I, it just didn't go over very well. Um, some people didn't receive it very well. And, you know, I, it's not that I think all of my articles are fantastic. It's just it's the type of content I like, but it's not necessarily the type of content that other people like. So I am even two years later, two and a half years after I started writing articles, started writing magic articles, I still don't always have my finger to the pulse, so to speak, and I'm still kind of playing that by ear. Some of my most popular articles are ones where I submitted it and I go, well, this is awful, but I got it in by my deadline, so I'm going to have a check in the mail. That's nice, I guess. <laughs> but then, you know, I, it blows up on social media and gets fe featured on the Wizards page, and someone brings it up to me six months later, and I just go, how the hell did you finish that article? I couldn't reread it. <laughs> yeah, you just never know, right? And I, I've heard different... I asked this question to different people in this show, and they, they always give me different answers, which are interesting. Like, I think it was Ari that just said, you know, I just write stuff that I would want to read, right? And then there's people who are more analytical about it, and they try to feel out, like, okay, given where the metagame is right now, what is the hot topic, and how do I, how do I hit on that? And then there are other people that just treat it as, like, it's a job. And so, you know, I got to put in, you know, I got to submit the article every week. So I just have a kind of a queue of things that I'm, I'm just grinding away at, you know, so everyone has a different approach. But I think the thing you said is really interesting is just that you never really know. It's just something once it's out there, it's out in the wild, you just don't know how it's going to get received, right? Yep, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. And the last question I have is, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking of playing in their first competitive magic tournament be deliberate that doesn't mean be slow but be clear with each action you're taking most of the big problems i see with people who are new to the game are things that are used to something being impl implied at their locals like they if the opponent like i beat someone at an scg tour event recently where they attacked with their inferno titan at me when, you know, it would have killed me over the course of two turns, forgot to announce their trigger, and it was obvious that their plan was to shoot me with the trigger twice, and I would die. But I chump block it, or I, like, look at them, and I go, all right, move to blocks, and they're like, yes. And I'm like, all right, chump with my Lingering Souls token or whatever, or my Bedlam Reveler, and they're like, all right, go. And uh, then the next turn, I have another chump blocker, and I'm like, all right, well, go or I attack them down to their dead next turn and play another blocker, and then they attack with their Inferno Titan, and they're like, kill you, and I'm like, I have a blocker, and they go, well, with the trigger last turn, and I was like, you did not trigger that last turn. Like, I, I think remembering triggers falls under this sort of deliverance that I'm trying to talk about, being clear about what phase you're in, when you're attacking, when you're casting spells, when you're triggering abilities, when you're activating abilities, and so on. I, I think a lot of judge calls for players who are newer to competitive magic come down to miscommunication. And I think that making sure that you do not have those miscommunications is very important. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like just taking your time, right? Just 
taking your time and being very clear with what you're trying to do on the battlefield. Exactly. Play at a reasonable pace, but don't rush. It's very easy to get nervous and kind of get this, oh God, okay, I, I just need this to be over. I just need to get it over with. I know what I'm going to do and I'm just going to do it right now. So let's do it. Like you, you don't have to do that. You can just, you can take a second, you can think and you can go, all right, combat. I will declare these creatures as attackers. Move to blocks. All right. You take this much damage. I have your life total at this. All right, go. I confirm life totals at like every time a life total changes or every other time a life total changes. Like, all right, I have it 16 to 18 your favor, correct? All right, cool, go. Mm -hmm. Trying to do anything possible to avoid discrepancies and make sure that my opponent and I both know where we are in the game and that we are on the same page. Yeah, and this is not a strategy podcast, but I will just say, please write down your life totals, people. Do not use dice. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's my it's my pet peeve. Like every time I see that and the table shakes a little bit, I just want to like flip the table to reset people's life totals, <laughs> and I don't want to have that power. And uh, and so please use paper, people. If we're talking about playing in your first Magic tournament, like just start off with good habits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I'll, I'll admit I use the spin down that comes with my pre-releases when I'm no. at a pre-release. When I'm at a pre-release. Okay, fine. It's not but high level then. Other than that, I am. I have one of those like boogie boards. I don't know if you've seen them, but it's. Oh, like those I, are great. Yeah, yeah. I have. I've had one of those since 2016-ish or something, and use one of those because it lets me write down a bunch of stuff I wouldn't normally write down on a life pad, and because I can just erase it and use all the space I want. But it is it is nice having just something to write with instead of a couple of dice. Nice. Yeah, you reminded me I need to go buy a boogie board. I'm still using traditional paper, and that is, once again, dating myself. So <laughs> if, uh, if you get one, get one where it clips at the top, not inside of the boogie board. There's ones where it's just the screen and the button, and then it has a little, like, a thing that you click the pin or the stylus on top of the boogie board, not in the top or in the bottom of the boogie board. I don't know if that makes sense, but it uses a round stylus instead of a flat one because you can fit a ballpoint pen in them. And a capped ballpoint pen works as a stylus, which means that you still have a way to sign your match slips at tournaments. Oh, no, damn, that's nice. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've got some reps with a boogie board. <laughs> <laughs> You should be taking uh, like commissions on boogie board sales if anyone ever listens to this. Oh, I, I, my people are in talks with their people right now. <laughs> yeah. So Emma, it's truly been a pleasure. I, I think we've sort of had a wide spectrum of topics on here, like from the very personal to the more lighthearted. But I do want to thank you for taking the time to do this and. I, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you felt the same as well. Yeah, of course. I, I did enjoy it. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I, I really, really love this cast. I uh, We didn't mention it before this, but I like I listened to it, and I, I love, love the work you do. I, I like hearing the sort of behind-the-scenes of what Magic players do, and I think you're very good at drawing it out of people. I wouldn't have uh, come on here if I didn't like your work. Well, I appreciate that. I hope we can do this again sometime. And in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
until next time. And that's the end of the Humans of Magic podcast with Emma Handy. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and please stay tuned for future episodes. To learn more about Humans of Magic, please go to humansofmagic.com and to support Humans of Magic, please go to patreon.com slash jamessu. That's patreon.com slash j-a-m-e-s-h-s-u. We'll see you next time.